Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. Uh, if you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. Uh, tell somebody, tell anybody, tell everybody that you listen to Lamestream Sports, and they should too. Yes, yes, they should. Our guest on the show today, Michelle Knesevic of 1025 The Game. Are you sure that's how to pronounce her name? Kne- Knesevic. I believe I got it right. I'm going to keep practicing it, and I tried to say it as soon as possible in the show to make sure I got it right. Michelle Knesevic <laughs> of uh, 102.5 The Game produces Robbie and Rex Road, is also a professor at, at, at Middle Tennessee State, uh, is just has done basically everything in like a two and a half, three year journalism career. So uh, she's a really she's extremely talented, very hardworking, uh, very opportunistic, and I think a lot to learn from her. So really fun to, to talk with her. So we'll hear from her coming up a little bit later on. We're going to talk about the passing of Joe Biddle, longtime standard in in Nashville in terms of sports media. So um, Joe Biddle passing away this week. I know you had an opportunity to work with him for quite some time uh, at the Banner. So we'll talk about uh, Joe a little bit here. Some Titan Stadium renderings. Renderings are like uniforms, Steve. They get the internet completely burnt to the ground real fast. <laughs> yep. So so we'll talk about some of the renderings with the Titan Stadium, uh, and of course some some normal. Ratings and recommendations at the end of the show following our conversation with Michelle. So all of that today on the program. Uh, Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner. Sign up for good journalism, by the way, NashvilleBanner.com. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. So uh, me and the suits at Jaspers have have been having a long conversation over the years about hoodies and uh, quarter zips. And I have been... I'm currently wearing a hoodie. You are currently wearing a hoodie as well. It's a little chilly here on a Thursday morning when, when we're taping yeah, this. Yeah, the, the heat hasn't kicked on in the office yet, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of stamping my feet around here. And uh, me and the suits at Jaspers, go to Jaspers, great place to watch the Preds games, great specials during all different types of the day, 4 to 6 p.m. during weekdays. You got two-for-ones on Sundays. You got buckets of beer. And, of course, the Preds specials, $10 Smashburger, $3 beers, all during home and road Preds games, and they'll never pay for parking. Uh, but me and the suits have been discussing uh, quarter zips and hoodies as we as it pertains to who used to fill the lower bowl at Bridgestone Arena and pre Stanley Cup. I my my line has always been pre Stanley Cup. There were a lot of hoodies after the Stanley Cup, a lot more quarter zips in that lower bowl. And the suits at Jasper's have always been very offended by this commentary. <laughs> <laughs> the suits have basically told me that this is not this isn't a real theory. This isn't a thing. Um and then when Obama was on with Peyton and Eli, and all three of them are wearing quarter zips, <laughs> I got a text from the suits saying, okay, maybe there's something to this quarter zip <laughs> class theory that you've got. <laughs> I love that. I love that the quarter zips have become like such a part of the Peyton, uh, of the, of the Manning cast. I, it's just, I, I would argue again to the conversation the suits and I have been having for years now. I think quarter zip is a certain thing that a certain type of person can afford. <laughs> I mean, the nice ones. I mean, yeah, well, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, 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 and I say some this of us as, are still shopping at Old Navy. So I, I, and I say this as someone who has a quarter zip with a little master's logo on the on the on the front there. So um, which actually might actually be cheaper than the polos. <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it. No, uh, go to Jasper's. Of course, it's a wonderful place to watch all sporting events. And really, you can do anything. You can go for happy hour. You can go for lunch. You can do business work there. 
You can go do Papa shot. You can hang out on a Friday night. You could take the the spouse for a nice dinner. You could take the kids. It's got everything you need. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, we'll get to Michelle here in just a second. But I, I did want to give you a chance to to talk about Joe for a second. Joe Biddle passing away, longtime columnist and member of the media here in Nashville. You had a lot of opportunity to to be around him. I, I knew of him and read him very briefly when I came back to work in Nashville in 05, 06, 07, my first jobs out of college. I did not read him growing up because I did not live here. So so I was unaware of him before I kind of came back to work. And it feels like with with Mark Howard passing, um, with a few other people moving on from this media market, that we are losing sort of a generation of voices that really led in Nashville for the better part of what, Steve, two or three decades, probably. Yeah, I mean, there really is, and and I think more, I think accurately, we were talking about this off air. You know, you we've lost a generation of columnists that that will not be replicated. You know, we lost David Clymer a few years ago, uh, who was the who was the the kind of the big dog Tennessean columnist for a long time, and and he had linked to a generation before him of of kind of huge names. Joe was uh, Joe was a link to a bunch of a, a bunch of banner voices uh, that that had an outsized influence, and because and and part of it is and we talked about this before. I don't want to beat it in the ground, but I mean. Part of it is is the diminishment of uh, those institutions. You know, the, the print banner was has been gone since '98. The Tennessean is a shell of itself. That the, the people stepping into those roles don't have the same platform. And so, you know, if you were to ask somebody, if you ask somebody, you know, 20 years ago, you know, who was the, you know, who who were the who's the sports columnist Tennessean? They would have said David Clymer, or or at the banner they would have said Joe Biddle. Uh, I mean, ironically enough, Biddle and 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 Clymer worked beside each other at the Tennessean after you know after the banner closed in '98. Uh, if you ask somebody today who is the Tennessean sports columnist, most people wouldn't know. Uh, and and I and I feel like you know if you're if you're like a hardcore sports fan, um, you you might know that Gentry Estes is their is their columnist, but if you're sort of outside that realm of fans it you know it's just it just doesn't have the same influence well i was gonna say if you're a media nerd listening to this show you probably understand the 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 sort of the the erasure of the line between editorial and reporting that that's happened it's a pretty obvious thing as you said we've talked about it a lot and it just it strikes me as completely insane to explain to somebody who is 24 right now consuming sports media that there was a time when you were it was appointment newspapering (laughs) on Tuesdays to read so-and-so's column and their opinion about what had happened over the weekend like that. Or, and then wait, waited three days to get someone's byline on a piece of content that was so thought through and, and well-written and coherent. And, and now it's like, no, I'm going to go do a live stream on Twitter five minutes after the game to scream about it. Like it's just, and I'm not saying that that's not what people want. It is, but it, it's the, the line between editorial and reporting where now everything is commentary. 24 hours a day, everywhere you look, it's commentary, commentary, commentary. Uh, and it used to be very, very specific and particular. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think that's, and that's true in sort of a lot of areas, particularly in the digital age too, where there's no sort of, I mean, you knew what a column looked like versus what, what, edit, what, you know, what, what a piece of reporting looked like. 
they were they were usually separate they were usually i mean there, in, in the, there was a title that says opinion <laughs> well and, and like in the banner you, you know the columnists ran in a rail down the left i mean that's that's yeah, how you yeah. knew and they were set off in different type and whatever else but i want you know i wanted to say something about joe with you know he was a he's a really good guy um he was he was a great columnist when he wanted to be he he was so he wrote so much um that you know you didn't always get <laughs> you don't you didn't always get you know the the a plus column and that's true of, of any columnist who was writing like three and four days a week like, like joe was um it, it's hard to you know it's hard to have an opinion i, I should say it's hard to have a well-formed an opinion about so many different things that often and have it and have the reporting behind it to back it up. I mean, it's just, it's just really tough, but Joe was, Joe was a great columnist. Um, really funny, uh, had a, just this, uh, he was a, he was a smart ass. I mean, and if you spent five minutes around him, yep. you know, it, he was, uh, he was always cracking a joke. It was always, uh, he loved, loved a, you know, a good, um, a good quip would, would, would just kind of fall in love with a phrase. Um, but Joe was, I had that Joe rise, was, had the rise smile at the end of each quip too. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, and Joe, Joe was part of, uh, and I mentioned this on Twitter, Joe was part of what is arguably the best marketing in the history of, of the paper, uh, or at least in kind of like that last generation of the paper, which was Joe used to do a picks, Thing in the paper every week and you would cut it out of the paper make your make your football picks during the season send it in and if you outpicked joe you got a bumper sticker and the bumper sticker said i beat biddle and it was awesome uh and those things were those things you could not buy them uh, they were highly coveted uh, you know, people would, you know, people, if Joe went on a, if Joe went on a, on a down streak, all of a sudden you see a lot more, I beat Biddle <laughs> stickers around, but it was the greatest marketing in the world for, for the paper, because you would see these on cars. I, I saw one on a pickup truck last year, uh, an old pickup truck that I was, I, I could kick myself for not like not snapping a picture of it. Yeah. I wasn't like stopped or anything, but I couldn't really do it. It was, it was just, it was one of the greatest sort of marketing ideas and, and and fans loved it and people would come up to joe you know i kind of like you go out to lunch with joe and and people who didn't know him would come up to him and go hey man i got a i got a i got a bumper sticker i beat biddle you know last year one time right, right. And, you know, something week, like that week six 1997 i beat your ass <laughs> <laughs> um can, can first just of all to, just just i know you got more but like i want people uh in 2022 to listen to what it took to do that 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 you had to clip out a piece of the newspaper with yeah. scissors, fill it out, mail it in, and then someone at the paper took the time to 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 aggregate and manage and monitor all of that stuff, and then send back stickers. Like the amount of community connection involved in that type of effort, you know what I mean? Like that. Like let's just like this. This is why our communications are so two dimensional. It just takes no effort to open up your phone and yell about you know the preds power play or whatever but like that that took time and effort for someone to be that involved with their content and that will never happen again yeah uh, absolutely uh and there, and it took a lot of well it took a lot 
of uh, work on the on the other end too, like tallying stuff up and making sure right, people right when they when they send them back in. But we that's clerk- but that that's what build the that's what builds the bond. Like that on both sides of the the relationship, there there's a bond there and a connection that we just don't have. Joe, uh, after the banner closed, he went to work for the Tennessean until about 2011, and then after that, it worked for it wrote for a, a variety of publications. Uh, he wrote for Channel 2's website a little bit. I think he did. I think he did some picks and and some other stuff over there. He uh, wrote for the Williamson Herald. Joe got a dementia diagnosis here a couple of years ago. They, they were really public about it. I was thinking, you know, it's really kind of. I mean, I'm sort of dealing with some of this in my own family. It, it's always tragic when these things happen. When somebody who's when somebody makes a living from their wits, uh, yeah. and to yeah. see them to see them go like that. Uh, is it, it strikes me as being particularly cruel, but uh, you know Joe was seventy eight. There's a really good obit in the that Mike Organ wrote in the Tennessee, and I, I highly suggest people uh, people read it. Uh, very very good. But uh, yeah, uh, last of a you know last of kind of that generation yeah. of columnists. We are efforting um, some concepts and ideas to make sure we can explore his career a little bit further. Obviously, so um, stay tuned for that. Um, and, and obviously. Uh, thoughts and prayers with with the family and the friends and everybody who knew him again i i didn't know him really well i, I was around him a, bu- a bunch kind of like in that 05 to 2010 territory when i had first gotten started i was working for bill king who was close with him so uh was, was he on radio to with, meet him was he on radio at that point because he had done he had done radio and a little bit of tv he and, and i joked about this on twitter he's like he, he would always joke about that when he went on tv he's like it, he goes could you believe they're putting this face on tv <laughs> It's funny, like you say that, because my ex- my experience was that he was kind of just like I- in the universe, <laughs> like yeah, he just existed and was a part of sports in Nashville in in media. And again, I wasn't in local media at the time, but I just sort of knew of him be- because of my relationship with Bill. But just because he was kind of everywhere, like he'd be at a, a game, he'd be, I'd read something, I would hear something, I would see something, and then I would. Then he'd be at a game and like it was just kind of everywhere and you'd see him and he'd give you that little half smile and, you know, you chat for a minute and always very kind to me. And uh, but again, I didn't have that same again, that 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 depth of relationship you get when you are clipping newspapers to send into somebody to then tally and trust that if they if you beat them, they were going to send you something that that is a depth of a relationship between audience and and content creator that again is just beyond comprehension to people today so um again thinking about his, him and his family and his friends and, and again we'll try to go a little deeper with with his career um as the season goes along so quickly here let's jump on the titan stadium before we talk with michelle the renderings are out i i saw the phrase ryman auditorium by burke nihill before the renderings and got my hopes up steve uh, I am glad that is not the stadium renderings are not completely glassified the way all of the city is. I know the banner has done some stories on this, so check that out. But it also looks exactly like Fifth and Broad, basically. It looks like Top Golf mixed with L.A. Jackson. Like I don't know. Like it is just if I want to watch a game on top of a hotel, I'll just go do that. Somebody, uh, I some, don't know. My, fa- my favorite comment was somebody said, "Hey, look, we're building the world's biggest Whole Foods." <laughs> yeah. Uh, it does I mean, have some does have some whole food vibes. And again, I get it. They're trying to bake it all into the entire development and they're there. But and I, I'm, I'm cool. I think outdoor dining with like trees on the third story. I think that's all really cool stuff. I just am curious because I know it's not targeted towards me. I'm not a season ticket holder and I'm not a young, fun person. But 
people love going to these rooftop bars that feel like it's a Vegas nightclub. I do not. Uh, but if that's what people want, then that's what the city wants. Then I get it. I, I guess my question to you is, how long do we think that style of building is going to be uh, in style? I, I, that that's my question. Is it are they going too trendy with their concept? Um, I think that I, I don't. You know, it's interesting. One of the conversations that came up in the uh, one of the one of the things that came up in the press conference was the idea that okay, we're replacing this stadium after twenty something years here. We can't do that again on the next stadium. Like that, this has to be has to be something that lasts you know forty fifty years or longer. And I think that. Some of that was some of that thought was, you know, the the criticism of it that it doesn't look, I don't know, like kind of wow as a stadium is, you know, the flip side of that is maybe it's its design is there to be blended in yeah. with the stuff that's going to be built around it, that, that's going to be standing around it for the next 50 years. So, you know, maybe that's a good thing. The, the rendering process it, it, with the releasing of them always cracks me up because it all it, it's like confirmation bias of whether you're for or against the stadium and, and it's you know people and, that, and which and which nashville are you right right are you exactly. are you are you old nashville or are you new nashville if right. you're new nashville you love it if you're old nashville probably not so much not you you probably hate it you know i'm I in between i'm in the, i'm in the middle for the record i am too uh, i i think there's some i think there's some kind of smart stuff about it Although the, the other the other funniest line I saw or thing I saw was somebody had clipped a picture of the inside of Global Crossings and what, kind of like where the where the high windows are and then a, a thing of the renderings and they're like oh great we we're building a, we're building the new Hickory Hollow Mall I, that, that uh, that's what I was gonna bring up too like it looks <laughs> like the, the the roof is they just stole the roof from the Hickory Hollow Mall yeah <laughs> um it. you know it, I think there's there, there's good stuff about it but but I but I do think that. The rend when the renderings came out, it gave uh, it gave something tangible for people who are critical of the project to latch onto. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, which it is, is it's it's a Rorschach test for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and so that part of it has been has been kind of interesting to see because I think people, even if you even if you are still kind of like making up your mind about you know whether or not it's a good idea from a public financing point of view. People instantly had a reaction to those yep. to those renderings. So it's like all black uniforms. You're just going to have an opinion. You're going to have an yeah, opinion they're, about they're it. Bad <laughs> and wrong. That's that's the opinion. Now they're a lot better with black helmets. The black all black uniforms with the white helmets. The dumbest thing I've ever seen. The all black uniform with the black helmet. Let's. I'm wait. I'm willing to see what it looks like under the lights at Neyland before we go crazy. But the point is, is that you put a uniform out or a logo or a third jersey or an alternate or a rendering of a stadium. And the only thing you are going to get back is opinions. Like, that's it. It's just going to, everyone yeah. will have something to say about it. My, my, my take on it, actually, because I know I, it sounds like we're kind of being pretty negative about it. it. I would say this. It could be significantly worse. The renderings for the Buffalo Stadium dropped on Thursday morning, and it looks like the world's awesomest ice fishing shanty. Like, sitting on a pond in Buffalo, it looks metallic and stale and it just like it looks like Soldier Field. If you've been to Soldier Field, it's like a UFO on top of the Roman Coliseum. Like it could be so much worse. Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I feel like in Atlanta is just not a particularly pretty building. Ar Arlington at Jerry's World, not a particularly outside at least. So I think it's way better than it could have been. But I don't think it hits the Nashville marks that I was hoping 
with and again i know brick and mortar and stone is very expensive and it's different than you know glass and light trendy ribbon lights and everything but like i i was hoping for something a little bit more like first avenue old bricks you know church style something rebombing so, some yeah just something and and i don't you know it it definitely went a different direction than i was anticipating so maybe that was some of the sticker shock for me but I think it could be way worse. So I don't I don't want to make sure I want to make sure we're not being super negative here. I think it could be way, 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 way worse. Again, the Buffalo Stadium looks silly to me. And again, if you're Buffalo, why would you make it look like the parking lot is an ice pond when you put out the rendering? Like, I don't <laughs> just put green in there. Just put some green in there. Like, sure. I don't I don't understand. All right. So uh, there's your Titan Stadium news. OK, ratings and recommendations coming up after the interview. Uh, but this was our conversation. Unless you got anything else to add on the Titan Stadium. I think we're good. No, we're good. Okay. Uh, this was our conversation. Again, r- really smart, really talented, hardworking, opportunistic young woman who is the producer for Robbie and Rex Road on 1025 The Game. This was our conversation with Michelle Knezevich. <music> Michelle, welcome to the show. It is great to see you. How are you? Listen, guys, I'm doing well. The alarm clock went off at 4.20 this morning, and I'm still no. going, so we're good. So so my first gig out of school was working for The Banner, which is an afternoon paper. My alarm clock went off at 3.30 every morning in order to be in by 4.15 to start laying out the sports page. I had like a series of redundancies. Like I had an alarm clock that I couldn't reach. I had I had like a phone tree set up of people to call me if they didn't see me by a certain time. Have you ever you ever you ever not make it out of uh, out of bed at that four thirty? Okay, so I have knock on wood right here. I have never missed the show. There has been, and I hope my boss isn't listening. One time where I woke up in a p- absolute panic at no. like five fifteen. So that I get there at the five, worst. and then the show. Yeah, and then the show goes on the air at six. And I woke up like in a panic at like 520. I think I wore the sweats I slept in, put my <laughs> slides on and like ran out the door and was there by like 557. And I was like, we got it. We got it. Robbie, Robbie and Joe were like, you made it. You're good. <laughs> but yeah, I've always made it. Um, but I would like to be there at five, not a uh, 557. Or you're <laughs> not introducing a six o'clock show. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Right. Well, it's, it's all right. Chase is never going to do anything. It's fine. Um, so here's what's funny is now that we're making the show about us and not you, Michelle, um, I, my first job out of college was producing a morning radio show. And I had not, I had a recurring dream of not making the show. Like yeah. it was again, morning show started at 6am up at five four forty five. there at five fifteen. Like just like you and I would have recurring dreams for probably like a good year after I left the job of like, oh, shit, the show is starting and I haven't gotten there yet. What are we going to do? So, no, that is that is very real. I have nightmares all the time and I wake up at like three thirty and I'm like, oh, cool. I got like (laughs) we're good. But it's the worst on Saturdays or Sundays because I'm like, come on. Can't just like turn it off. All right. So this is about you and your career. And we'll get to your role as producer for Robbie and Rex Road, but a, a, a lot of other things that you've done. You're hosting shows with Caroline at SEC Media Days. Uh, you're a big part of the social push for 1025 The Game as well. So before we do any of that, like, how do we say your last name and what is your official job title? Okay. So the last name, full name, I'll go full, Michelle Knezevic. So a lot of people think you don't pronounce the K, Knezevic. People think there's an H on the end, but it's just Knezevic. Okay, Knezevic. 
good good okay. solid Croatian name. What is mm-hmm. it? Yeah, there we it go. It is Croatian, correct. You're you're right with that. And um, funny story, quickly, there was an H on the end, and then when I'm like fourth generation, when they came over, they took the H off. So uh, in Croatia, it's spelled with an H. But my official title would be executive producer and host. Okay. All but right. There's a lot of things that fall under there. <laughs> you kind of take on a couple different hats, but I guess that's that would be the most concise version of it, I could say. Now, is that how? So let's go back then, because you, obviously it's Kentucky, Tennessee week. So we'll talk about that as well, because you're a Kentucky girl. So let's go back to how you got into the business, your, your start, your interest in sports and in media in general. So mm-hmm. you, you're you went to Kentucky, correct? Or is that correct? So you go to you go to Kentucky. Um, what is it about this godforsaken industry that a- appealed to you at that age? So a lot of people think I'm also from Kentucky, but I'm from New York. And I took a journalism class junior of high school, and I always just loved performing and loved making people smile. I was a cheerleader in high school. My stepdad was our varsity football coach. My grandpa was a coach. My brother played basketball in college. So I've just always been surrounded by sports my entire life. And then when I figured out Like I knew I never wanted to be a coach. I knew I wasn't going to play sports in college. But then when I found a way that I could kind of get into it, I was like, oh, I really like this journalism class. I could combine it with sports. And originally, when I applied to colleges, uh, my top two schools were Syracuse and Penn State. And I didn't get into either. (laughs) So I was like, mom, I'm not going to college. Like, I'm just not going. (laughs) It's not happening. So like, I don't know what you want me to do. She's like, Michelle. Let's just let's simmer down for a second. You applied to like 15 other schools and or actually Kentucky was the first school I got into because I knew about their cheerleading team. They're like the best in the country, 24 national championships. They're they're incredible. And I mean, obviously, I knew it was a big SEC school, but I never saw myself going there. I was like, oh, I'll just apply to this school. Like I follow this girl on Instagram and it looks cool. So then my mom's like, why don't we go visit Kentucky? I'm like, oh, it's probably like really hicky and southern <laughs> and country. And I just, I don't know if that's my vibe, mom. And of course, moms are always right. And I seem to figure that out as I get older. And so we land in Lexington and you just see like the bluegrass Keeneland, which is the racetrack right there. And I'm like, you get to see all that there from that airport. You're coming mm-hmm. right in. It's just like, it's yep. just like a sea yep. of horse fields. Yeah. I'm like, okay, mom, you're right. And, um, we, we, um, visited the campus. Ironically enough, one of my best friends from high school who moved to Cincinnati was touring that day too. And, you know, the rest is history. I decided to go there. We roomed together. She's still my best friend. She lives in Nashville now. And as soon as I got to Kentucky, I knew I wanted to be involved in sports. And my freshman year, I did the whole sorority thing. And I was emailing the marketing department, like, can I have an internship? Can I have an internship? And I, I couldn't get one freshman year. Like I was emailing all these people and it just, it, I just couldn't get one. Right. Cause they're, they're very coveted internships. Everybody wants to work and get the free credentials and work the games and all that. So I couldn't get in my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, I had a girl in my sorority refer me and was like, Hey, they're looking for people to take over my position. Cause I'm graduating. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> finally. So I get into the marketing department and I didn't want to do marketing. I just was like, let me just get in. And I know once I meet people that I can figure it out. So then once I got into marketing, transitioned over to JMI Sports, which is 
the like IMG, they own the media rights to uh, Kentucky Athletics. So I got to work on the UK radio show and go to all the basketball games and their digital platform was really kind of getting off the ground. So that's kind of when I was like, okay, I really like doing this. And then once you've kind of got into one outlet, it was so easy to meet so many other people and just you figure out about different events and things like that. So that's kind of how I got into it, but it definitely was a struggle to get that first, like, yes, just to be able to do an internship or something. So that's kind of a roundabout way how I got into media and went to Kentucky. You got to get, so you, you get to Kentucky. Were you a basketball fan beforehand? Oh, my, my weekends as a child were at AAU tournaments because my brother played basketball since he could walk my brother. And, and I would say my brother who were 18 months apart is probably the biggest reason I love sports because he, like my parents are separated. So whenever we would go see my dad, like boys, right. They, they talk together and they talk about sports and basketball and everything. And I was like, well, I feel left out. Like, come on guys. So I like at, at a young age, I I would pick things up and I would, I was trying to learn about it. So then I could like get in the conversation and like know more about sports and things like that. And basketball always was my, my love just cause I was around it so much. And my brother had a, he had a real hoop in his room and we would just like play basketball in there and play horse. I could never beat him one-on-one, but he's also like six, three. So. <laughs> so, so tell us how you got to Nashville. After Kentucky, graduated in 19, went on to kind of full circle. I didn't get into Syracuse undergrad, but I wanted to get my master's. So I got offered a job out of college with the MBA. And right, you think, why wouldn't you take that job? You love basketball. But getting my master's is always important to me. I've always wanted to be a professor. Um, So went to grad school. And essentially, it was a one-year program where you just immerse yourself in reporting, uh, digital broadcast. They launched the ACC network. So I was like, I, I I have to do this. So the amazing opportunity, the network there. So went there and then in March, COVID and, happened. And, and, you, and you should tell people like half of, I mean, there's a, there's a new house mafia kind of within, <laughs> within, within the broadcast world that, that, that can the all come out of Syracuse. Like the, like the joke was, uh, uh, the, the joke was if, if, uh, Syracuse had had won last weekend and, and were undefeated that it was going to be mandatory for game day to go to Syracuse simply because like oh, yeah. all of ESPN's bosses wanted them <laughs> wanted to go Sean, home. Sean McDonough, the broadcaster mm-hmm. on the game, the play-by-play guy, was incredulous that Sean Tucker was not being used more during the game <laughs> <laughs> because he's a Syracuse alumni. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that was that's definitely a cool moment of being there, Sean McDonough like walked by our morning newscast in the morning and I was like, and they were like, yeah. And he like came in and said, hi, but it, it definitely. And you were like, man, he's really short, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it. You did. <laughs> um, Look at the size of Adam Zucker's calves. Why are his calves so big? <laughs> but I am happy and thankful. I didn't go there as an undergrad because it's intense. You know, it, it for sure is an intense setting and I'm just happy. I was kind of established and knew what I could offer when I went there as a grad student, but then COVID happened. So moved back to upstate New York, two hours East and did grad school for six months in a little office in my house. I was in one, my brother was getting his master's in the other and my younger sisters are in high school. So we're all virtual school at home and finished. And then I just kept freelancing for Syracuse 
doing stories for ACC Network, stories for um, Syracuse Athletics, hosting shows virtually, driving back and forth to Syracuse. But right, I'm like, mom, I love you, family. I love living home, but like very frustrating <laughs> not having a full-time job. And don't get me wrong, like I was working out every day and I was like on such a great schedule, but I didn't have a job and I was still living home. And my mom was like, you can't, you can't keep complaining about it, right? You, you got to just figure it out. So looking back on it now, I did probably one of the very like risky move. I moved to Nashville, May of 2021 with no job, um, no real like leads, interviews or anything, but knew that I would just figure it out. So signed a lease. I was like, I'll give myself a month. And if I don't get a job, like I had saved up from jobs at like serving and bartending. I was like, I'll give myself a month. But I don't have a job. But um, after a month in the industry, I'll try to do freelancing and I'll serve and I'll bartend and I'll, I'll make it work. And a month to the day, I had a connection from a networking event. I came down here. It's actually Kara Hammer who works for the Preds. And she said, hey, I think 1025, the game is hiring. And long story short, they interviewed me for a part-time position and then thought that I'd be a really good fit with Robbie Stanley and Joe Rackstrode on the morning show. Never produced a radio show in my life. Haven't done much radio. Didn't think I'd ever work in radio. And here we are, a year and a half later. Um, but definitely a risky move, but listen, it all worked out. So sometimes you just got to bet on yourself and just figure it out honestly well and i and i would argue and i will get into because i know you you're doing some teaching stuff as well kind of on the side so i want to get into that side of your brain and how you want to go that mm -hmm. way as well but it does strike me i'm assuming that steve the oldest person on this conversation uh who when he trained and was studying to be a reporter and a journalism uh major that that is a very different set of studies and practices and and things that are now being taught because again you you I'm, I'm, I guess I'm curious the diversity of the study that you do when you're at Kentucky and at Syracuse getting a master's in this kind of stuff, because you, you just said it. I had no experience producing a radio show. Now I'm a full-time producer. You have to be able to operate and live and function and move very quickly in a digital world where things are done very differently in terms of how reporting is in 2022 versus 1992 or 2002. So I'm just curious, like, if you were to break down all the different things you've studied and prepared for before getting to 1025 the game, how much of it would you call like traditional journalism versus modern journalism, if that makes sense? No, yeah, it makes it makes complete sense. I would say 90% I studied traditional journalism at Sar or at Kentucky first and then Syracuse. Like my classes were doing news stories and doing like I didn't I couldn't major in sports journalism at Kentucky. I majored in hard news and anchoring a news show and turning packages and writing news stories and producing a 30 minute news show. And then at Syracuse, I got more opportunity to do some sports just because they're a very established program and they have a lot of resources to allow you to have a specific sports focus. But I would say in college, 90% of what I did was doing news stories and getting on-air experience, but talking about news and learning the technical way you're supposed to speak or how you're supposed to write a script or, or live shots. And I think I benefit from that because I got that training, but then I'm also in the generation where I grew up learning social media as it was just coming out. 
And five or six years ago, you didn't have social media managers. I was one at Kentucky for the JMI Sports Network, the UK Sports Network, because they didn't even have an Instagram. So I think I could benefit like that. Whereas I got more of this new media stuff in my internships rather than my traditional training in classes was, you know, news and doing a local sports cast, which is so different than the job I have today. But it did help in a way because I have all that training too. And I just think it's made me more versatile. So I have that kind of like all in the back of my head. Does that make sense? Lamestream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business. And it is hosted by Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner. Sign up for good journalism, NashvilleBanner.com. And it is brought to you by Jaspers. If you were looking for a place to watch the Nashville Predators and wanted a really good special on food and beer and didn't want to, you know, go to a smelly, stinky, sticky sports bar, where would you go? You'd go to Jasper's. You wouldn't go anyplace else. You would only go to Jasper's. You want to catch a John Morant game. Where are you going to go? I'm going to Jasper's. You you want to watch a Big Ten West game at Nissan Stadium. Where are you going to go? I don't want to watch a Big Ten West game. Well, that's all you're getting. <laughs> that's what I saw at Nissan Stadium last Sunday. <laughs> that was an Iowa Northwestern game, uh, and it was tough to watch. But if I was at Jasper's, I would have been far happier than sitting in the press box because uh, all it was was Big Ten West snarky jokes left and right flying all over the place. Jasper's, I would have had a nice cool beer. I, I would have had a, a you know, you, you I still would have had the jokes. Yeah, but you true. had it in a much better environment. You get the jokes and ski ball if you go to Jasper's. <laughs> like, where else can you make fun of Iowa's offense and play ski ball in Nashville, Tennessee? Uh, there's just nowhere else you could do that. Only at Jasper's. Only at Jasper's. Uh, but what's cool about Jasper's, of course, is the end. You got World Cup games coming up soon. So World Cup's coming. So if you need a place to, to go watch some World Cup matches, uh, obviously, aren't, aren't the times on those going to be like right around lunchtime for some of the U.S. matches? Yeah, uh, they did the U.S. a solid uh, on those. Uh, I, I think th- there's going to be three windows, um, and and the the last win- the U.S. is in the last window every time, which means it's as late as it could possibly be. So around lunchtime. Gonna, yeah, I think it's going to show up at like I think it's going to be like one o'clock. One here. o'clock. So one o'clock for World Cup matches every single day for for like four weeks is going to be a lot of fun. So you could go to Jasper's to watch those things. There's lots of things you could go watch at Jasper's and never be disappointed on parking. Never be disappointed on the environment, the ambiance, the vibes. Never be disappointed on the food. Never be disappointed on the drink specials. Uh, Unlike watching the Titans offense, you're never disappointed when you go to Jasper's. Is that too snarky? Go to Jasper's. R.I.P. Joe. What one of the things, uh, one of the things I've seen you do, and there's a really you have a you should go check out our Twitter feed, although I assume it's in on Instagram and some other places. Uh, you get this clip up of uh, Bud Dupree and um, Simmons in the locker room, and, yeah. and it's and the one of the, and I've seen you do this a few times uh, on socials. There's an there's a certain art to in, in to an interview and to doing something that is great for social versus something which is newsy and relevant and you know about the game or about you know somebody's specific play but 
you had been you had been talking to you've been talking to Dupree about uh, there was there was some shit talking going on about Kentucky and some other stuff, and <laughs> and yes, there was. <laughs> and Simmons, Simmons, the Mississippi State grad, you know, kind of chimes in, and they, but there's all this kind of chirping back and forth. What makes something? What makes something like a great moment for Insta or for Twitter or something like that, as opposed to like this is a clip that's going to go that, that that we're gonna that we're gonna have on the on the six a.m. show the next day? Well, I think I mean it starts with relationships, and that was probably one of the hardest things for me, and is I'm still trying to figure it out. Because in this national media market, when I came in, it, it's kind of full circle because when I came to a sports reporting workshop here in 2018, I heard Kayla Anderson speak. I heard Teresa Walker. I heard Mike Keith. I heard Corey Curtis, Emily Proud, all these people who work in the industry. And then here I am a couple of years later sitting right next to them. But you have so many people here who have covered this team for so long and been able to build those relationships. And it was really intimidating at first because all of last year I could sit and talk or I could sit in the press conferences, but I wasn't allowed to ask a question. So it's really hard to build those relationships because I was like the tier two for COVID. So then coming in this year, it's like, okay, they know who I am, but they've seen me just not like speak before. So when I went in the locker room, the first thing I said to Bud Dupree, that was the first time I interviewed him. I was like, okay, Think of a common ground so I'm not just somebody with a microphone in his face. So I'm like, listen, I need to let you know that I'm also a University of Kentucky alum and we have to be Tennessee on Saturday, right? And it, it's football and it's and it, it is great. And I and I would suggest that to anybody. If you went to a big school and now you're covering a team, try to find some sort of whether you're from the same hometown or you know somebody. And he's like, Oh, heck yeah, BBN or whatever. And then I was like, Hey, do you care if I ask you a couple or a couple questions? So I do the serious interview first, right? So you break, I broke the ice, did the serious interview that aired on our post-game show. And it was more of, you know, how he was effective in the game and things like that. But then on the back, on the back end, I kept rolling and I was just like, hey, um, they got to win. Like, I'm going to be there. I'm really stressed. What are we thinking? What are we thinking about the game? And then Jeffrey Simmons was right next to us. And he was like, Kentucky sucks. And I was like, excuse me, they just beat Mississippi State. So let's just simmer <laughs> down over here. He's like, what do we even have? I'm like, Will Levis is going to get drafted in the first round. I don't care what I is. He's going to get drafted in the first round. <laughs> and I think a moment like that, it just shows personality. And I actually have to shout out Kayla Anderson because she ended up pulling her phone out and, and getting the back and forth between us. And I was like, that's perfect for social media. And with the big game coming up and SEC fans, they love to support their players after they play for them. And then I just thought it was it was a win-win situation where you could use the one for the the radio show, the work, the serious one, but then there's also a good balance between having fun because I would say that's the approach I like to take. You don't have to be serious all the time. We're working in sports, right? And if you can make somebody smile or laugh and it helps each other in the long run, then you know everyone's happy. You don't I, have I to think be so serious. Yeah, I, I, why so serial? Uh, I think there's a there, there's a great lesson in there about sort of trying to build a personal relationship before you ask like the very serious question. And in an NFL locker room, I will say, college football is just the easiest way to do it. Like they, every single one of them has loyalty. I talked to Rashad Weaver and David Long the week of the Pittsburgh West yeah. Virginia backyard brawl. And like they both like lit up like Christmas trees because they want to talk about their alma mater. So good piece of advice for young reporters going into a an NFL locker room.
for the first time. What have you learned about the science of radio that you did not know when you got the job? Well, a board is a lot. I remember Ryan sitting down with Ryan Port and just looking at it and being like, I'm going to do that. Um, and he was like, yeah, we're going to train you. Don't worry. But like, I'm going on vacation in like a month and a half. So like, let's just, you got this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we got it. Um, so I guess the science, the science of like the tech, technological stuff, all the technology at first, it seems really intimidating, but it makes sense once you just like realize that like, oh, this button is connected to that and connected to that. <laughs> but I think one of the biggest things when it comes to talking on radio and figuring out how you can have a successful show that I didn't know until I got into this market, until I actually started working in sports talk radio, because as I mentioned before, I'd always been trained in doing sports casts, doing a three and a half minute, a three minute sports cast where you have sound bites in between, you have video highlights, and it's all planned out. It's all written in a script. And you have to say the least amount of stuff in one minute for your live shot or a minute and a half for your live shot or a three minute sports cast. And I remember coming into radio thinking, how the heck am I ever going to learn as much as Joe Rexroad and Robbie Stanley about this market? And how do they talk for four hours long? And how do you, you know, stretch a topic or don't get bored or redundant with what you're saying, even though you're talking about similar topics, but how can you make it creative and new and, and ask yourself questions? Because I never realized how hard sports talk radio was until I started working in it a year ago. So I started producing. And then six months in, I was like, I need a goal to be on, on air because that's ultimately what I want to do. I want to be a host. I want to be a reporter. I don't want to be telling stories. And six months in, I started a podcast and I was like, this, this is so much harder. And I had to just learn so much more about the NFL because I tradition, you don't realize how much you have to know because yeah, they're only 12 minute segments, but it is so incredibly hard to transition from doing TV. I, I personally think to then doing radio and the science of it is be curious, read the, read this thing, every last <laughs> bit of it that I have right on my desk. If you're so covering there's, about an, there's about an 800 page Titans media guide. <laughs> Literally, because there's, there's never enough, honestly. And the knowledge you can have, you're, you're always learning. And at first I thought, how am I ever, ever going to learn as much as Robbie and Joe? And I'm like, okay, take a step back. They've been in this market for my lifetime right? Robbie was born here and Joe's been working in the sports industry, or Joe's only been here for five years, but working in the sports industry for so long. So I think you have to give yourself grace, but then also realize like you just can never know enough. And, and planning, I, I never had to plan as much for doing TV. I was like, oh yeah, in my head, I could do it. Whereas radio, I would say the science of it, like you can never be overprepared. So it, it is, it is Kentucky, Tennessee week. Uh, and your, your boy, uh, your boy, Will Levis, uh, uh, you're on with two Tennessee fans, by the way, alumni, yeah, I'm an alumni. You, so he's I, a Belmont I, grad. Just, just so you know, Michelle, what's going on here. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not necessarily in the friendliest place. So, uh, <laughs> t- t- <laughs> mayonnaise and coffees go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I guess 
this this is what I I talk about with with my with one of my best friends who's Kentucky who's a Kentucky grad who is who's a, a, who grew up in Kentucky is a lifelong fan. Mm-hmm. How do you handle being good as a Kentucky fan? Because that's it has not always been a given. Now maybe in your lifetime, but for so for those of us who are like a little bit older, or maybe the like you know the the Kentucky fan base in, in general, you know November rolls around. March Mad, I mean, uh, Midnight Madness uh, comes mm-hmm. up, practice opens, attention shift to basketball season. I mean, what what does it feel like to to have like an an actual working team here in you know in the month in in, in the months of October and November? It's freaking awesome. <laughs> I mean, like point blank, period, mic drop. Because when I went to Kentucky in twenty. 20- was 2015 to 2019 right it was it was kind of really when mark stoops was like the the first couple years not so much just let's just scratch those out i remember you can get student tickets for like 30 or 40 bucks and i was telling caroline fenton that who went to lsu and she's like you're joking right and i was like we would never even go to the games you tailgate you have fun and you wear blue but nobody actually goes to any of the games the student section is not full you don't go to those right that was like sophomore or freshman and sophomore year. And then junior year is kind of when, you know, m- m- sorry, my junior year is kind of in 2017. It's kind of when like Josh Allen started to emerge, who's on the Jags now. And obviously he went seventh overall. So he brought, you know, a lot of spotlight to this program and Benny Snell, who was the running back. And you really kind of saw Mark Stoops have success with this program. Uh, and beat, beat Tennessee that so, year, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the wide receiver as quarterback, Lynn Bowden, I would just like to uh, say real quick. In, in, in fairness, a lot of people beat Tennessee that year. <laughs> <laughs> but the way I put it and try to like explain it to other people is you're never, you were never expected to even be in the conversation. I mean, seven, six, seven years ago, they had two win seasons. They were in the same boat as Vanderbilt which is crazy to think now and just the job that Mark Stoops has done to this program, because I think sometimes people don't give him enough credit. The fact that we're even talking about Kentucky, having a game with Ole Miss, having a game with Tennessee, beating LSU last year, beating Florida. It's it's insane. So the way I try to look at it is yeah, Tennessee fans give me crap, but The fact that Kentucky football is even in the conversation with Tennessee football, and I know, don't get me wrong, right? The last 10 years, you guys have had a lot of turnover. It's not the program that it used to be. But I think it says a lot that Kentucky's even in the conversation because as a fan, you just, you were, it was irrelevant. It was something, oh yeah, tickets are 10 bucks. Let's go. And to to the point, to the point that there are actual, there's actual division now among Kentucky football fans and Kentucky basketball fans which I find fascinating. You just assumed, okay, everybody's a basketball fan and this is something to do until basketball season gets there. No, I mean, there's like, there's actual, there's been a couple of reports about it. There's actual tension between the football and basketball programs. Like, like at a real no, school. That's, that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's all Calipari's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's gone on the record being like, mm, shouldn't have said that, but no, it, it's so true because even though I say, Right. Not a lot of the students would go to the games my freshman year freshman year or my sophomore year. 
I had never experienced SEC football being from upstate New York. You don't have big schools like that. And Syracuse, it's just, it's just different. ACC, or I mean, SEC football is, it's its own thing. And Kentucky's on the smaller end of it, I would, I would say, compared to a Tennessee, compared to an LSU. The city of Lexington, it didn't matter if they were bad. Everybody, every Saturday would still be tailgating and there would still be tents and everybody would have their parking spot. So the support has always been there, whether they've been good or bad, right? Obviously bad for the majority. And as of recent, better and actually competitive and having 10 wins, 10 win seasons. But the fan base has always been there and been su supporting the team as far as tailgating and wearing blue. It's always been like a community event because Lexington, I mean, it's, it's a small little city, right? There's no professional teams and it's something to do on a Saturday. So even when Kentucky wasn't good, they always had a fan base. And now it gives them a reason actually to be like, to talk crap to Tennessee fans, because there's actually a chance. So we can be unified then on one thing. And that is, I feel like, are you as equally as offended as I am with people who wear orange in the fall and blue in the spring? Because those people can go to hell. Yes, they can freaking go to hell or <laughs> or if they wear red for Alabama oh, oh, and then yeah. blue yeah. for screw, Kentucky basketball. Screw those people. That's even but, worse. That's even worse. No, 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 no. See, that's the thing. I've always been a Kentucky football fan. People are like, oh, you're just a basketball fan. Just, I'm like, no, I've always rooted for the team, but I've never been able to like really say or banter back and forth because right. we've never really been that good, especially when I went there. But now it's fun and I'm like, Listen, you were scared of Kentucky football, and that is funny to me because Tennessee football has every opportunity to be better and is set up so much, so much like the history of it and the tradition of Tennessee football. And like the fact that Mark Stoops has built this program and that they are competitive, it, it's so exciting and it's so fun because as much as you can be a basketball fan and as much as you can love Kentucky basketball, football rules all. Yeah. So when you have a good program in the SEC, people are going to flock to it. I have been going to SEC Media Days since probably Tebow, so 05, 06, 07. And I'm just curious, what was your experience like? I know you, Caroline Fenton, were hosting an, an all-female sports talk mm -hmm. show live on Radio Row, which is something I don't think I've ever seen in 15 or 18 years of going to the event. Um, what Was was that your first time at SEC Media Days? Wait, 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 wait. And, Caroline Fenton, do you mean and company? Caroline Fenton. Caroline Fenton and company. <laughs> You know, you're not uh, the, yeah. you're not the, you're not the end company. This was Caroline and Michelle doing the afternoon yes. show. And I just, what was the experience like? Was it, what, what were you expecting? It is quite a circus, quite a zoo. And I think you guys should be awfully proud of what you did that week. Well, first off, really appreciate that. Um, yeah. So Chase, our boss came to us and was like, we want you two to go down to SEC media days. I had never been before. Caroline had been, um, I think when she was, uh, interning with LSU, they had gone down and I mean, it, it was incredible. I had never been to the college football hall of fame. So even just walking up there, like aside from the work aspect and just seeing everything they have from game days and the pictures and the videos and the interactive things and the wall of helmets. I mean, it really is awesome. And then when you get onto radio row, it, it definitely is very intimidating, especially because, I don't think there, or I don't, there wasn't an all female show. Caroline and I were the only ones. We had never done Radio Row before. So we kind of were just like, okay, here's our equipment. We're just going to figure it out. We'll find our table and 
we'll do, we'll do what you got to do. And I wish I could have been in the moment a little bit more and tried to like realize how awesome it was. Cause I can look back at it, but we were both just like, got to get so many interviews and sound and everything. And just wanted to make sure that our show was packed and we got to talk to a lot of different people. But I mean, it's exhausting at the end of it because you are talking, whether you're doing the radio, the four hour radio show, or you'll be interviewing people. And that actually was my first time ever doing a four hour radio show was SEC media days. Um, so talk about just getting thrown in. I, <laughs> like I said, I produced Monday through Friday. I, we had a two hour show during basketball season. My first host, he ended up getting another job. So I did one hour by myself and it's now it's one hour again with a co-host, but I had, I had done three hours before, but I had never done four hours. And I, I didn't read an email that I probably should have. So as we're driving to Atlanta, Caroline and I are talking about the show and for some reason in my head, I was like, oh, I, it's just the one hour. Like Stillman, I thought that they were going to do the four hours. And I didn't read the most recent email, which is totally on me. And she's like, no, we're hosting the four hours. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, oh gosh, I've never done this before. <laughs> I, like, I would have been prepping for months. <laughs> but when, when, you get, works, so. when you got done with the four hours, were you exhilarated or exhausted? A little of both. Very hi but then it was funny because caroline and i afterwards we'd be like we need food food is number one right now so we would go find food and then we would have dinner and be like okay we're just not going to talk for a second we'd like eat our food and we'd be because you just talk like you don't realize how much it is but you're exhausted after but also it was a mixture of both because then i would lay in bed at night being like i can't fall asleep this is awesome but i'm like i need to sleep because i'm exhausted so I think there's a lot of serendipity in your journey, uh, which I think is a good lesson for a lot of people, but also being ready to take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves again, like being an AAU family and then all of a sudden yeah. ending up at Kentucky basketball. But like that is there's some serendipity in all of that that clearly your mother un understood and wanting to be on air and then stumble, you know, doing the production thing with no experience. I think there's a lot of of, of lessons in there. But you also just mentioned professor and you you said you want to be a professor so how does that factor in how does that figure into your career plans and uh what are you doing currently to continue to explore that possibility so yes i said i wanted to be a professor but i actually am right now i shouldn't have sold myself short in that um i just started as an adjunct professor at mtsu this fall and i'm also going to be teaching next semester um, I had an intern actually at the station who interned with me for the entire semester, Nick Frazier, shout out. He's awesome. And as now works part-time at our station, but he was a senior at MTSU and he was just asking me about my journey and where, and basically like this interview and well, why did you get your master's and, and not take a job out of college? Because who wants to go back to school? And I, I said, I always wanted to be a professor because my professors have, given me so much and taught me so much and been such a big part of this career that I have. And I want to give back somehow to like younger students and things like that. So it's, it's hard because I'm two years, three years older than some of them, but I feel like I can give them good advice because you mentioned earlier, Michelle, when you went to college, was it a lot of training that journalism is not like that nowadays. I feel like I can kind of give a modern take on how the industry has just changed so much. But I was sitting with Nick and I was I was telling him all this of how 
you know, I want to give back. And I had so many professors who just meant so much to me and believed in me and gave me opportunities and wrote me letters of recommendation and, and helped me stay in the industry when I was hitting a wall and wanting to switch majors. And he was like, well, their MTSU is trying to kind of revamp their sports media department. And he got me in touch with the professor or another professor and the director of the program. And I told them everything I'm telling you, I'm passionate. I care about other people. I want to help people succeed. And now I am a professor and I hope I'm doing well at it. And I'm trying to have them meet a lot of people in the industry and speak to a lot of professionals in Nashville and and do projects that are real life work. Cause I think that was where I got my best experience, but it's, it's harder than it looks. And it's hard to be stern when you know what they're going through. And I went through not too long ago, but it's a journey. And I, you don't realize how much prep and how thankful you should be for your teachers and your professors and how much work they put into it. And I definitely didn't realize that until now I'm in the seat for it, but it's been awesome so far. It's been a lot, but my students are great. And a lot of them just really want to work in the industry. So that's all you can ask for, honestly, but it's, it's, it's an awesome new uh, part of my job. My many hats I wear. <laughs> it sounds like uh, producing a radio show, hosting a radio show, being a professor of media, all, all some overlap there with, with uh, delivery and broadcasting and preparation and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. So uh, you've, uh, you've earned your way here and you deserve everything you've gotten. And we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time. Uh, final score on Saturday night. What do you got? Kentucky 42, Tennessee 39. Go big blue. All right. Great having also- you. Great having you. My Talk to you later. My first ever game in Elon, guys. Oh, that'll be cool. Never been there. Deck down in blue. Tennessee fans, please be kind to me. I'm gonna you're not I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna prepare you for something. That might not happen. You're, you're but you're not going on a credential, right? You're going with tickets and you're gonna do the whole real fan thing, right? Okay, good, good. Oh yeah. good. Awesome. I, yeah, All right. I, I can't cover it. I gotta be a fan. Good. Good. Enjoy your trip, man. It's a great stadium. It'll be a lot of fun. It's a great rivalry. And uh, congratulations on all the success. We'll talk to you soon. And thank you so much for giving us uh, so much of your time. We We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. You rock. That was Michelle Knesevich of... 1025 The Game, producer for Robbie and Rex Road. Are you sure that's not, how to say her name? I, I, I hope so. <laughs> she she told us in the interview, so maybe I should just go listen to the, my own interview to figure it out. Um, Michelle's great. She I, I think one of the, the lessons quickly here before we get to ratings and recommendations is, is that um, to be ready for opportunities. And sometimes the world does things, and this is not to get too philosophical here, but but to be a a person from a basketball AAU family to not get into the schools you want to get into and then end up at Kentucky, that <laughs> there is some serendipity there with the world pointing you in the direction it thinks you need to go. And I'm not a big believer in like higher powers and everything, but th- there is absolutely a reason why she ended up at Kentucky, a reason she moves to Nashville without a job and a reason she is now producing a morning show, a professor at Middle Tennessee and and doing the good good work that she's doing. I I think there's a lot of like you, you got to be put yourself in the right place at the right time for the right opportunity and you never know what's going to happen. So I think that's I think that's a really cool part of her story. So I'm 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 legally obligated to say this. She's not a professor. Oh, she's sorry. A, adjunct. She's an adjunct. Whatever. 
I'm just I'm legally just saying, legally someone who's going to come at you with a criminal. I'm just ap- saying accusation I, I, if you don't say that. I'm, I'm just saying as a as someone who was uh, guesting in a guesting in a college class this week for with with two people who just fought hard to do their PhDs. You can't call her a professor yet. What what would Greg Sage say to that that comment? I don't know. Whatever Greg Sage wants to say. Hey, Greg is an avid listener of the pod. We know he listens. I he's a professor. What you're gonna take? You gonna take that away from him too? He's an adjunct professor. <laughs> Are you, I'm so just you're gonna saying be, you're gonna be accused of criminal behavior le- legally if you don't make sure you 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 cut them all down a notch. Huh? I am liable. Okay. I'm right. just. I have to. You know, I have no, to. No, no. Bring them all down. I, bring I them all to, down, I have, Steve. I have to stand for the. Uh, I have to stand for the people who fought hard for the PhD. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do it, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, God bless them for doing it. Oh God. Thanks for coming on the show, Michelle. Jeez. <laughs> Good night. You got anything oh positive God. to say about her her joining us on the show this week? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> I, it, it would it would just be it would just be against the it would be out of character at this point. Sorry, yeah. Michelle. Yeah, you're on Touch brand. I, yeah, I get your own brand. No, she's great uh, and uh, doing a great job learning all the different types of d- different roles. Again, lots of lessons in there for young young people uh, coming into the business. So uh, thank you for Michelle. To, uh, thank you to Michelle for joining us. Uh, on the program uh so let's get to some ratings and recommendations here uh tennessee of course with martin ut martin not a factor in the rating skyhawks <laughs> not the draw you thought they were no not not a factor now we'll be fascinating to see what kentucky and tennessee does because it's not the 230 game it's the six o'clock game so it'll be interesting to see where that falls the only one that registered college football wise in the top five was uh alabama and mississippi state it pulled a 5.7 so there you go. Yeah, that was that's brutal. Um, number that four, shitty, Bron- that was a shitty game too. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, Broncos, Chargers, seven point eight. Uh, Chiefs, Niners, eleven point two. Steelers, Dolphins, a twelve point three. And then of course Titans and Colts. That pillow fight that they had at Nissan Stadium on uh, Sunday, a twenty one point four. Which, if I am, I think it's the third highest rated game of the season so far. So I have to I have to say briefly thank you to the Dolphins for wearing for wearing the right dolphin helmet and the throwback uniforms and putting the diamonds in the end zone again. It did my, uh, Mm. my, my eight year old uh, dolphin fan uh, heart. Good. I just, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure Darius Rucker loved it. I'm sure he did. I I love, I love it. It's so weird how a team's quality affects how you feel about their uniforms. Oh yeah, like the Dolphins uniforms look absurdly ridiculous when they've been the bad Dolphins, but when they're good, those things look awesome. I like, mean, it, and it's 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 stupid to connect quality of football to the quality of the uniform because it makes no sense. But but those but those uniforms were on the only undefeated team uh, in history in the history of the NFL. I mean, and and that's, that's true. You'll always they'll they'll always have that, and it's just uh, they looked awesome. They did look awesome. I can't believe to us is being allowed to play football, but whatever it's neither here nor there. Uh, all right. So there's your recommendations. We'll keep an eye on Tennessee and or sorry. Those are your ratings. Uh, we'll keep an eye on Kentucky and Tennessee this weekend. Uh, recommendations. I have one that just, you know, we, we had to talk about the passing of a, of a great columnist this week. We've got, you know, election season is here. You get, you know, Nashville SC lost in the playoffs. Predators are terrible. The Titans offense is atrocious. Lots of negativity. So I'm going to give everybody a quick, uh, recommendation: A little thirty-minute show that is completely mindless and absolutely hilarious on HBO. Avenue Five, the second season is out. Um, I don't know any of the actor and actresses' names, 
but you would recognize almost all of them. Um, oh, who's the guy who plays Olaf in, in Frozen? That's probably not the best reference for you now that I've said it. Um, I'm going to say. Josh uh, Gad, is that correct? Oh, uh, it's got Hugh Laurie in it. See, and and I think Josh Gad is one Josh of Gad, the, Josh Gad's in there. He Zach is, Woods is in there. He is hysterical. Oh, the guy, uh, the guy from uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's Zach Woods. That's Zach Woods. Yes. He so it's all these people that you kind of know. They are apps. The writing is some of the best writing. It is veep level of jokes per minute. The the efficiency of jokes per minute in Avenue Five is spectacular. It's about a sh- it's about a a group of people that go on a cruise in outer space and then the ship gets knocked off its 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 course and they have to stay there for eight more years with no food and the crew never really find and the and the passengers never really find out <laughs> that they're off, <laughs> that they're going to be stuck there for a decade um and the whole thing is like a big giant sham it's just so funny it's so funny uh it is great mindless get away from all of the real world stuff that you need in your life right now so g- give me some it is up there with like veep and 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 it's it's not as wholesome as Schitt's Creek or Ted Lasso in terms of sort of like the feel goodiness, but it's very much in the, the, the mold of like uh, the righteous gemstones or veep where HBO is just hammering you with joke after joke, after joke, after joke. The writings are, the writing is great. So go check it out. I've, I've, saw it. I've, I've seen the, I've seen the trailers on it, but we'll, we'll, so put funny. That, we'll definitely put that in the queue to watch. Um, I, I'm going to recommend a couple things here. Um, one, I didn't get a chance to talk about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but one of my favorite pieces of the college football season, uh, Alex Kirshner, um, who uh, wrote a piece for Slate called, uh, and the headline on it is, Tennessee over Alabama is why God uh, invented college football. And it's not a, I mean, Alex is not a Tennessee fan. It is not a, you know, a Tennessee uh, supremacy sort of piece. No, he's a uh, he's a Yinzer, right? A Pit fan. Pit yeah, he's a Pit. He's a Pit yeah. fan, uh, and I think a Maryland grad. And it, but it is about why college football has a power that other things don't. Why it has a power that the, the, that the NFL doesn't. Uh, and it's and and it's it's wrapped in sort of like the 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 upset moment of Tennessee over Alabama, but. Alex taps into something about college football uh, and he ha- he has a line in here about you know why with with 115 you know D1 schools you can't be 131 real- yeah uh, you cannot you cannot realistically hope to be playing for the championship every year uh, it, it's not even like March Madness where you can't even realistically be playing for a chance to get in the tournament every year some teams aren't that it, that it's about college football is about other things and it's about yep. hate yep. it's about hating your rival and 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 beating your rival and how if that's the only thing that you do it can you can it can still be supremely satisfying uh and it's it, it's it's just a really fantastic piece highly recommend it uh other thing is this okay. is out in the new york this is out in the new york times today i assume this is a this is going to be a uh be a sunday piece uh 50 years ago Stevie Wonder released uh, an album called Talking Book uh, that is, I mean, any if it only had superstition on it, uh, <laughs> it would be one of the best albums of all time. But I mean, it's just it's just song after song after song after song, and it is it is brilliant. And so they do a deep dive on kind of the behind the scenes of that album, and then they go through and talk to a bunch of heavyweights 
about every song on the album. And it is, I mean, it is just, uh, I mean, you, they got Smokey Robinson talking about you are the sunshine in my life. And it, it's just absolutely fantastic. Um, oh, but again, a lot of the people who are involved in the, in the record talk about it. Uh, it, it is, I, I mean, I, I'm a Stevie wonder fan anyway, but you know, this was the album that was the transition from being little Stevie wonder to, yeah, you know, he had already done like, I think like 13 albums for Motown at that point and was out of contract and signs this contract that gives him complete control over his sound. And this, this is the album that, that he, he got to sort of finally realize that and all the crazy synth stuff they were doing in the early seventies. And, yep. you know, they, they built, <laughs> they built this um, synth setup that weighed like over a ton <laughs> you know, the, you know, it, you couldn't move it. It wasn't like a keyboard right, you could pick right, up right. and take across town. Um, but anyway, just a fab, fabulous piece. And if you're not, if you haven't spent any time with Stevie Wonder and you only know, you know, like two or three songs, um, go read this piece, and uh, you know, you'll you'll un, you'll understand exactly the power that this guy had as a musician. Yeah, you know, fifty years ago, he he put out uh, "Music of My Mind" and "Talking Book" both in 1972, and then came back with. Intervisions in 73 and that was the big that was like you said the beginning of owning his own catalog at that point and uh, three records in less than a year i mean <laughs> and, and <laughs> who does that well they were trying to talk him down from putting so many songs on talking book and they, they were like you know he he wrote like 17 songs in three days <laughs> in like in like in like the first kind of creative session that they did and they're just like man you can't put all this on the album and he's like I got control. I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I'm going to put out like a, like a, you know, a quadruple album or something. Yeah. It, it was just, uh, just a, a window into a supremely creative person. So yeah, I got a chance. Definitely check out the piece. I, I will say one of the most memorable concerts I've ever been to was Stevie wonder and Jay-Z Saturday night at Bonnaroo 2010. And that was again, like 80,000 people. All from from with drastically different music tastes from all over the country, singing every single word to a, a guy's concert. It just it was one of those where you're like, look around, and you're like, I can't believe how how big and how wonderful. Now i I've always wanted to do an interview with the person, his like wardrobe person. <laughs> like, does Stevie know that's how he's dressed? Like, I've always wanted to. <laughs> I've always wanted to know. Like I want to do a long sit down with like their with like the wardrobe people. Like, did you give Stevie approval over everything he's wearing right now? I just want to. <laughs> I just want to know. Uh, so it, no, it was one of the coolest moments uh, I've ever had as a music fan being at concerts. Just extremely, extremely memorable. So check out the uh, article. Give me the name of the article again. The name of the article is <laughs> Vamp. Vamp. Uh, uh, Vamp. Uh, uh, get to where's that tab? Where's that tab? Um, just just Google Stevie Wonder talking book New York Times. Yeah, but 50 years ago, Stevie Wonder heard the future. Oh, that's cool. All right. So yeah. check that out. Um, and it's, I, it's it's awesome. I recommend everything Alex Kirshner does as a fellow co college football, uh, you know, re religion person. Uh, he's exceptional at what he does. So check that out. He does. Uh, it, the, his, his podcast is called Split Zone Duo. Does it with friend of the pod, Stephen Godfrey, every week. So. And, can, and Richard Johnson. Check that out for free. Yep. Richard Johnson's yeah. great as well. So check out all those guys. Uh, all right. Avenue five as well from HBO. Special thanks to Michelle Knesevich 
I think I've said it differently five times. So I apologize, Michelle. Uh, and uh, of course, we'll be back next week talking all things national sports media and business. The Lamestream Sports Podcast is brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you by Jaspers. Go to Jaspers, everybody. It's way cheaper than going to a Preds game. Uh, and you can wear a hoodie if you want into Jaspers. <laughs> so so go, go check that out. Uh, we do appreciate their support. Support local business, everybody, okay? Support local business uh, and sign up for good news from Nashville Banner. That's NashvilleBanner.com. For Steve, I'm Braden. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.